Oh, if you are in this for the money, get out. Get out <laughs> fast. You should just you should <laughs> run away. No, no, no. Welcome to the What the Heck Do You Do Career Podcast, an inspiring look into the everyday jobs of everyday people. Hi, everyone. Thanks for coming in. This is Carol from Careers by Carol, and today's episode is going to be unbelievable. I'm really so excited, and I'm sure you guys are too, because this is a really, really cool profession. Some of you might have never heard of it before. Some of you might have heard of it before, but you think you know what it is, but you don't really know what it is, and I think it's going to be really, really awesome. We have an amazing guest. Her name is Kim Hamadani, and she's a dance therapist, so it's going to be unbelievable. Uh, Welcome her in. Hi, Kim. Hey, Carol. Thanks for having me. I'm really excited to do this, get started, and tell you a little bit more about what I do. No, I'm really so excited. You guys don't know how awesome Kim is. I actually know her from the dance team, so it's funny how it like sort of comes full circle, even though it's not yes. exactly the same thing, and she will tell us. Yes, uh, totally. <laughs> so tell us, Kim, what the heck do you do? Uh, so as you said, I am a dance movement therapist. Um, I usually like to say I'm a dance movement psychotherapist so that people really know that I'm in the psychology world. Um, so I'm not in the occupational therapy or physical therapy worlds, but I'm really working with people's minds through movement and words and play. Um, so that means that I have eyes and finger dances with nonverbal men and women who are in their late stages of dementia. Um, I've used rainbow scarves to explore what it's like to lose your hair with a three-year-old cancer patient. I fight monsters with a five-year-old who's witnessed domestic violence. I mean, I've, I've kind of seen so many people's worlds. So I think in a lot of ways, I just kind of join other people's imaginations and help them discover what they're feeling and, and tell their story in a way that feels like it makes sense to them. That's such an awesome way of putting it. And that's sort of what it sounds like with the examples that you gave. Um, but can you give us a little bit more of an understanding of how dance therapy works, how it helps people tell their stories, and how it eventually, I guess, helps them overcome whatever it is that they're going through? Sure. So I'll, I'm going to tell you the, the general definition before we get started. So the American Dance Therapy Association defines dance movement therapy as the psychotherapeutic use of movement to further the emotional cognitive, physical, and social integration of the individual. So what we're basically doing is we're trying to work with all the different parts that you might bring into the room um, and, you know, work through them. And in dance therapy worlds, that looks a lot like playing. It looks like bringing up characters, making stories, um, making music or bringing music into the session. Um, So, yes. I mean, and I also think dance therapy looks like a lot of different things depending on who you're working with. So I particularly specialize with children. So most of what we're going to talk about here is the way that I interact with children, particularly ages, you know, two to five, two to six years old around there. Um, But that doesn't necessarily mean that dance therapy can't look like something else um, with other populations and with other dance therapists. Right. And I think the three examples that you gave from the beginning really do illustrate the wide range of uses for dance therapy. But would you be able to go maybe obviously without giving too much information, because obviously we know that therapy is confidential, um, to maybe some 
typical example of a client. There's no typical example. That was a bad way of saying it. But like an example <laughs> of a client that you would um, use dance therapy with and how it would impact them. And maybe you walk us through a session or two of how that might evolve. Right. Uh, it's very hard um, to give an example because there are so many different ways that sessions could go. And I think that's the beauty is that it can go a million ways. You know, if you want to bring a crocodile in the room or if you want to bring a unicorn in the room or if it's a monster um, or if it's your grandma, you know, like it's, you know, there's Mm -hmm. all these different stories that can come up. Um, I think it's important, I think, to, to kind of ground it in the idea that it all happens through the body. And so that's really how dance therapy works. Um, So that means that wherever, you know, I think the thing that we say is that we start where you are. So we start where the client is. That's how all dance therapy sessions start. And then it's like a springboard into, you know, anywhere else they want to go. And that can look like they're, you know, putting on music and having a dance party. And I join them and I mirror they, their movement so they feel like they're seen and they're heard and they're supported. And then I might expand it and say, okay, what is it? what would it look like if we took it faster? What about if we made it slower? Um, you know, what about if we, you know, I don't know, like what if we took a rainbow scarf and, and saw where that went? And then oftentimes when you're moving and grooving and, and kind of sharing this experience, many feelings come up. So that's really where the material kind of comes in, where we bring this feeling into the dance world or into the movement world or into the story. Um, And then you kind of explore like, well, what does that feeling look like? Or what would, what character would it be? What, what name would it have? Where does it live in your body? What color does it look like to you? Um, Those are kind of ways that we can really start to explore the more difficult things that are kind of hard to say in words and are really hard for a two, three, four, five-year-old to express in a way that's clear. Mm -hmm. Um, And I'd even say it's hard for us as adults, you know, to kind of express what we're feeling with real clarity. And so what dance movement therapy does is it gives you the space to kind of explore it in your body first and explore it in a story or in a song Um, and then gather your thoughts about, okay, well, what was that? Let's think about that a little bit. So, so dance therapy is, um, it's a lot about the body, but it's also a lot about the words that, that come at the end, you know, well, what words are coming to you now? What pictures are coming? What images are coming? What story can you tell me about what we just shared? Right. It's funny because when you were explaining dance therapy, um, for those of you who don't know, I'm also a psychotherapist, a mental health counselor, and it really mirrors in so many ways the way regular talk therapy goes is that, you know, you meet the client where they are, um, they do something and you mirror it back. So for talk therapy, it's mirroring their words, their language, but for you, it's mirroring their movements. And what I love about this is I've actually had clients who are on the younger side and you notice that they really don't have the words to express what they want to say. So I can really see dance therapy being such a good avenue for them because, instead of having to speak it out, which they don't really have the vocabulary to be able to do that, especially like you said, two, three, four-year-olds, they're able to just move it. And, and you look at little kids and they're always moving. They love to move. They love to express themselves through movement. So I really do see how that can be extremely, extremely valuable. Yes. And, and just to kind of really, um, you know, understand this in a way that you asked for, like in an example. So an example would be, you know, a three-year-old is in a supermarket and they're kind of having a tantrum or in my case in a classroom and they're having a tantrum. Right. And so 
you can try and you do, you see moms, you see teachers try to stop that. You know, you can't do that here, or this is not the place to cry. And sometimes, you know, it isn't the place to cry. And I hear that. Um, but sometimes they just really need help saying, Hey, looks like you're kind of upset, you know? Um, and so if you meet them there, so sometimes I'll get on their level. Sometimes I'll stomp my feet around and I'm like, yeah, you're really upset. Let's really stomp our feet. Let's really stop now, you know, so they can get all of the energy out. And then that's when I bring in language of like, yeah, it does look like you're upset. Are you feeling upset? And that's how they're able to start labeling their feelings. And they might say, no, I don't feel upset. I feel really sad, you know, and then that's kind of how we can get into the the material of, okay, well, why did you have the tantrum? So now they're understanding, oh, I was feeling sad. That's why I had the tantrum. I get this experience of moving it through the body before I have to get to the words. Because again, a three-year-old having a tantrum, they're not going to be able to listen to you say, hey, could you stop crying now? That's like so impossible. Even if I told that to a 30-year-old, hey, could you stop crying now? Can you control all of your feelings for me? Because I need you to do that. It's really hard. Yeah, and it's and also so just acknowledging. Yeah. People don't want to hear, stop doing that, you know? It's it's like, then you don't get me. And it just makes me want to tantrum more and cry more. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. That's, really, that's really, really cool. And I think that's also a lesson to just anybody. You don't, I guess you don't have to be a dance therapist, but if you're a mom or a dad, um, getting on the, the kid's level in whatever way you can and validating them and, and labeling their feelings for them, it's really just an awesome technique. Yeah. I often tell um, the parents in my school where I work, I often tell them, you know, when you're looking at the behavior and when you're so frustrated that this is happening, you know, if it's happening at the dinner table or if it's happening, like I said, in a grocery store, you know, try to really look at, well, what's the feeling? What's the child trying to tell you? What are they trying to express to you? And then if you can figure that out, help them find the words. You know, because that's a really good way to meet the child, right? They're obviously experiencing something that's too big for them to understand. And so it's, it has to happen through their body because that's their first language. And so if you really think about, okay, well, he's having a tantrum. He must be upset. Let me start there. Yeah. Yeah, that's really great. So you mentioned that you work in a preschool. Can you tell us a little bit about how you got there and what you do there? Yeah. Uh, so I do. I work in a preschool. Um, we have uh, children two to five years old, and hopefully next year we'll have kids, you know, a couple months old and their parents too, which is really wow. exciting. Yeah. So um, I, I love babies, you know, anyways, whole different thing. Um, what do I do there? I am the mental health coordinator, which sounds really big and fancy, but um, what I basically do is I am the mental health person. I'm the person that uh, helps children figure out their big feelings. I'm the person that um, offers some tips or trainings, understandings to teachers who are trying to manage 20 kids having big feelings in their classroom all the time. Um, I'm the person that mom or dad or caregiver calls if something's happening at home, if they're struggling with something, if they're not sure about something. Um, so I'm kind of like the go-to person for anything mental health, um, emotion, social, emotional related in the, in the building. Right. And you were mentioning this a little bit earlier that it's interesting because anybody in the mental health field could really have this role, but you just happen to be a dance therapist in this mental health role. So how does that play out? Yes. It's, it's really amazing. I, I think because 
you know, if you talk to a regular person, you know, and they say, you know, you're a therapist, they, they have this image of, you know, this kind of, or at least this is my image, an old woman or man sitting in a chair and then across from them, the client lounging in like a large couch or something. And then they're just talking. (laughs) Yeah. You know, and then you take that image and you're like, okay, so if that's your image of a therapist, how does that work with a three-year-old? You know, like, can you right. imagine a three-year-old sitting calmly on a couch in an office? Like, that just doesn't no happen. And right. especially not in a preschool. Exactly. So um, when I was hired for this role, it was with real intention to hire a creative arts therapist, which is kind of the larger umbrella um, world that I'm part of, which includes music therapy and art therapy and drama therapy and dance therapy and many others. And so I was hired really because... Um, kids understand a lot through movement and through play, just like we're saying and how, and, and, you know, what you're saying as well. And so the way that I work with kids, I find is particularly helpful because, you know, when I walk into class and they're having a tantrum, a lot of the times I start stomping with them. Or if I walk into the class and they're feeling sad, I'll sit on the floor with them um, and I'll help move through them. A lot of times I'll come in during playtime and like you think I'm one of the kids I'm like so deep in a story I'm playing mom or sister or cooking or tasting something or whatever you know so I'm really I think hopefully um able to be like the super playful um older figure you know grown-up a lot of kids see me as like the big kid you know am am I really a grown-up I don't know like you're kind of tall but you kind of feel like a kid you know, so it's, I'm, I'm an in-between person for the kids and for the teachers and the staff, which is why I think dance therapy is like so great for children. You can tell I'm very passionate. I was about <laughs> to say, as you're speaking, I really like, I feel how much you love this. Like you're just so excited by it and it's awesome. Yes. I, it's, I, it's actually like pretty incredible to be able to understand another tiny human in such an interesting way. I just think it offers a really different perspective. Um, Mm -hmm. You know, the next time you have a little cousin who's playing with their dollhouse, I encourage you to go sit down and see what comes up. You never know. You might end up in like pancake land, like with whipped cream as hair. You just don't know. It's great. (laughs) Yeah. And it's true because like so much of, of us comes out in our play, especially when we're kids. Like I have weird memories of myself in first grade, like playing with my pencils and my desk and like they all had personalities, but like if somebody were to like hear me play with that out loud, they would learn so much about me. So I can see how like kids just being in their natural habitat and doing what they would normally do, but having you play like a certain figure, you can really learn a lot about them. Yeah. And they'll, and like you're saying, you'll learn so much about them in the way that they're working with you and playing with you. And you're like, Oh, I'm dad. Really? Okay. That's how you see me. You see me as dad. All right, then what does that say about me? You know, and then you can kind of go back and, <laughs> and, and, and think to yourself, like, why does she see me as dad? What does that mean? You know? <laughs> yeah. So I, I just want to reiterate this because I think that it's really, really important before we go into anything else is that dance therapy, it's, n- it's not what you think. Like 
when I imagine even a dance therapist and, and it's ironic because I'm in this world I'm in the career world I'm in the, the therapy world and I and I didn't even understand it until you explained it you think of just like somebody who needs to be like an amazing dancer and they're choreographing and they're teaching dances and after you dance you have this endorphin rush and that's what what is the therapy it's so not that at all no <laughs> it's not that I you know I used to I used to run this adult group and I'd always get oh you know I just, I don't dance. And I'm like, well, you know, you have a body and uh, also you can move. So that means you qualify for this group if you want to join, just letting you know, you know, so it's, you know, all the things, all the barriers um, that people might believe they have. I'm like, I can't be in dance therapy or there's nothing wrong with me. You know, kind of even that idea of like, there has to be something wrong with you for you to enjoy expressing yourself. You know, there doesn't, it's not true. You could just be having a great day and wanting to share that or having a really bad day and wanting to share that, you know? So um, I think, yeah, the whole thing with, I have to be a dancer or I have to, I have to be creative or I have to be artsy or I have to be whatever the word is that you think you can really let that go right at the front door. You can just blow it away or leave it at the windowsill or save it for a different time because it's, you know, you don't need that to enter into this, this world, this mm -hmm. dance therapy world, at least. So what do you need? Are there, are there skills that you do need to be a good dance therapist? So to be a dance therapist, uh, you need a few things. One is you do need a master's degree because you're working with people's, you know, fragile, and difficult and emotional and personal material. So you really have to know how to handle that with a lot of care and a lot of love um, and, you know, with, with an ethical compass as well. Um, I think to be a dance therapist, you need patience. Mm -hmm. I think you need a lot of spontaneity and flexibility because if you think you could go into session with a plan, whew, <laughs> You're in for a surprise. You just, you never know what's going to come up. You know, you really want to be able to follow the person that's in front of you or the people that are in front of you. So if you go in as if it's a dan dance class and, you know, first you're going to do kicks and then you're going to do splits and then you're going to do car wheels, you're, it's just, it looks nothing like that. You know what I mean? It's, mm -hmm. it's um, so limitless in its, in its beauty and its, and its wonder. So um, I think flexibility is, is a good thing to have. And yeah, clearly you, you thrive over that spontaneity. Like I can hear it in your voice that you get excited by the idea that you can go into a session or, or go into a classroom and not know what to expect and just trust that you can be able to feed off of the energy that the person's giving you. So I would say even more so than like, you should probably be spontaneous. You should really enjoy that. You should be excited by that. There are jobs where if you like planning and you like to know exactly what's going to happen, those are good jobs for you. It doesn't seem like this is a good fit for somebody who likes to know exactly what's coming. It should be somebody who really gets excited by the new and the the unfamiliar. Yes. It's, it's <laughs> so funny you say this because if you told me that like four years ago, I'd be like, oh my God, this is so not the job for me. I like need to know. I like to have a time. I like to have a plan. I like to know what's coming up. I like to be prepared. And like, that's who I am as a person. I'm like, I like that. I like structure. I like to be able to go in and be like, at one o'clock, I'm doing this. At two o'clock, this is going to happen. At 2.30, this thing, you know, because it's safe and it's really stable and it's kind of secure. 
Um, and it took a lot of work on myself and, you know, um, this is not something it's, you know, I had to like literally unlearn this thing that I was so used to. Um, so I would even say if you are that type of person, but you really want to be a dance therapist, like I was, um, you can challenge it and, and you can, you know, I think everything is kind of malleable in some ways. Um, I think that's really what therapy works on is you come in with all your qualities and all your characteristics and we don't want to shift or change that, but we do want to see if there's some wiggle room, you know? So, um, even with the spontaneity, there is wiggle room and trust me, like I am nervous as hell before my sessions. Cause I don't know what's going to come. And that's, that's a scary, it's scary. You know, I'm like, mm-hmm. ah, going to answer this five-year-old's mind. What the hell's in there? Yeah, I don't know. <laughs> it's like petrifying sometimes. But you know, um, before my first session ever, somebody yeah. gave me great advice. Um, they said, I was like so nervous, obviously we all are. And um, somebody told me the day that you stop being nervous before a session is the day that like you stop caring. Like for as long as you care about your clients and you want the best for them, you're going to be nervous. And that's a great thing. It just shows that you really care to give them the best that you can give them. Totally. I love that advice. And, and some advice I got about this thing was there's no wrong way. Like I, I had this supervisor who was like, okay, so then that thing happens. Okay. So then a different thing happens. Okay. And then, and I'm like, oh my God. And then nothing. And then it just <laughs> continues. And that's the whole thing. It's like this like huge mind blowing experience of oh, it could go like a bajillion different ways and all the ways are going to be just fine. And all the ways are going to lead into different unknowns and little crevices and little other discoveries. And it'll, it'll all just be the way it's supposed to be. So that's really helped me too, just kind of letting go of, oh, there's a right way of doing therapy or there's a right way to be a dance therapist or there's a right way to help people process whatever they're going through. There, there really isn't you know, it's really about following them. And, and if you do that, and if you follow your own gut, I think you'll get somewhere, you know, Mm -hmm. somewhere new. Yeah. And as long as the clients can tell that you really care, there's no true way to mess it up. Yeah. I mean, when you're on your hands and knees digging a tunnel or something, (laughs) they're like, Oh, you're with me. She's with me. Okay. I guess I can go. We'll go together. You know, I think that's, I think that's where it is. It's like, I think the, I think what I really try to get in all my sessions is like, Hey, I'm here with you. You want to do whatever you want to do. I'll just be here with you, you know, and I'll do it and I'll do it with you. And sometimes that means like physically doing the thing. And sometimes it means standing next to them or watching them or narrating them or, you know, whatever. But I think like you're saying, you know, as long as the client knows you really care. And I think for kids, that's as long as they know that you're really listening and, and that you're entering their world, I think, um, and, and actually speaking their language, I think then, then it really does help build, um, this beautiful, very deep relationship. Mm -hmm. And I would definitely add that to the list of of skills that you were in the middle of talking about. (laughs) You just have to, you have to be empathetic. You have to be, you have to be caring. You have to be able to, to have people feel like you're on their level and that you're willing to do that. Totally. We have this um, wonderful, wonderful concept called kinesthetic empathy in dance movement therapy that I actually, I did my entire thesis on this. So if anybody wants 130 pages about this thing and my (laughs) discovery of it, 
you know, feel free to hit me up. But it's, it's this, it's, you know, it's this really beautiful concept of, you know, we can feel empathy um, for people, but, but feeling it on a kinesthetic level, which is a really body level, um, is, is a very interesting and a very beautiful thing that can happen in a dance therapy session where your body feels what this other person's body is feeling in this really, really kind of authentic and and um, almost primal way. And it, it sounds really fluffy and it sounds really crazy, um, but it's kind of uh, the same thing that happens when, you know, if, you, if you've ever watched a performance and you can like feel yourself do the performance and you're like, why does it feel like I'm dancing on the stage? I'm sitting in my seat. How is it happening? And it does. It's this amazing human phenomenon that happens. Um, and it happens when we watch people eat ice cream. It happens really when we observe anybody doing something that we've done before. And so we can understand what they're doing on this like really body level. So like the muscles in your body are feeling as if they're doing the thing that you're watching. Mm -hmm. um, anyways, if you're interested, look up kinesthetic empathy, mirror neurons, give me a call. I will tell you about your it. Your phone's going to be blowing up, by the way. <laughs> right. <You should> <laughs> Try to find a way to monetize that. <laughs> right. I should. I really should. <laughs> but the truth is, it's it's so nice because when I think of that, I really only, I guess, always thought of the negative. It's like when you see somebody else getting hurt and then you have that like feeling in your body, like, oh my God, I feel like I just got hurt too. But it's so nice to think about how it could happen on a positive level too, that if somebody's enjoying something that your body can feel like they're enjoying it too. So going back to the to the schooling and the requirements. So go let's go from college. Is there any classes that are required or classes that you would recommend taking? Yes. Um, it depends. So, well, it depends on a few things. There are, I think, about six schools that are certified. So you'd look up their curriculum and that would help guide you. Uh, the basics of it, whether you do it in the States or if you want to pursue this in Europe or, you know, in China, you know, kind of wherever you want to do this, this thing called dance therapy, um, it's master's level. So on, on a bachelor's level or on a college level, you'd have to take a few psychology classes, such as personality, abnormal psych, um, if you're interested in children's psychology, you know, things like that. There are a few that are listed. Um, and you have to have uh, some sort of movement practice. So um, for a lot of us in the field, it looks like we were dancers, we, had, we were dance majors or dance minors. Um, or, you know, yoga practitioners, some of us are yoga practitioners, but you have to really be comfortable moving and moving in front of people and using your body as your instrument and as your real tool. So it's kind of this mixture of really heady kind of psychology and analysis and understanding. And then this really body felt sensation of, are you comfortable moving around? Are you comfortable being seen? Are you comfortable exploring in your body world? Mm-hmm. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Which school did you go to? Uh, I did my undergrad at Hunter. Um, and I was part of this awesome program called Muse. If anybody is looking into that, it's an arts program. And um, I was really into the dance world there, which was phenomenal. Uh, the dance company, the Hunter Dance Company is such a it's a place that uh, like right now I feel like nostalgic thinking about it because it's so homey and it's so, it's just warm. Um, so I did that. And then I went to Pratt Institute in Brooklyn for my master's, which is, um, has like two beautiful 
studios with wooden floors and big windows with trees outside and beautiful art studios as well. If you're feeling the need to process with like art materials, clay and pipe cleaners and metal and I don't know, whatever you think of. I I use a lot of cotton balls personally, but you know, you could do it with whatever you want. Can you give us an example of something you would use cotton balls for? Uh, Yes. I, at the time I was interning at a nursing home. And so we, you know, we'd have these classes that kind of um, allow us to explore our cases and our clients in different ways. And I would often come back to the cotton ball because there's something so fragile about old age and yet so beautiful and fluffy and light and airy and soft about it too. And I just felt like it was such a perfect material for me at that stage. Mm -hmm. So what would you do with it? Oh, good question. (laughs) Uh, Depended on, depends on the, on the prompt. I think, um, a lot of times I, sometimes I would, um, so for example, they'd say, you know, uh, what would a holding environment look like to you? And a holding environment is the space that the client and the therapist create together. It's kind of the safe space that you mm-hmm. feel if, when you enter the session. So um, I could use it. I, I often used um, cotton ball to kind of create this structure. Um, and it's, it's then it's, it's able to be this really soft structure that could move because I think a holding environment should be, like I said, really flexible. Um, or I used it once. They asked us to if we could visually explore um, our favorite parts of our, the clients that we were working with. And I, and I used, I colored um, cotton ball and tissue paper and I put it on this wooden stick, which sounds so weird and crazy, but I swear to you, I held up that thing and I'm like, that's my client. It's her. <laughs> it just feels like her. That's what she is to me. She's cotton ball and tissue paper on a wooden stick and I can't explain it. It's just this thing. Right. But that's exactly what your whole practice is about is it's like, you don't have to be able to explain it because you can just show it in some creative way, which I love. Right. Yes. It is nice though. Um, to get to the words and and it's a valuable part eventually you know it's it's all fun and games to to be able to live in the play and in the fantasy but if a child really can't find the way to connect um, their fantasy monsters to their real life monsters then you know you have to help them make that connection mm-hmm. D- does that make sense yeah. you know so mm-hmm. you can't you can't only live in that space you have to really help ground it um, in reality for them so that they can really start making the connections to their, to their own, to their imagination world and the real world. Right. So I'm going to add that to the list of skills also, because I think it's one that people take for granted, but not everybody really has it is that ability to make connections. And I think there are people like when you, when you think of people who are good at analogies or are good at, you know, when you read books, finding the symbolism and finding, I don't know, ways that two different things can sort of connect. I feel like that is a good indicator of being able to do this because like you said, yeah, you can live in the play, you could be on the floor with them, but if at the end you don't help them relate that to their life in a meaningful way, then it's really not as effective. Yes. Wow. What a beautiful way to put that. I, I never really thought about that, but I do, I do love symbolism in the book <laughs> and in poetry. I mean, that is, yes, it's me. It's all my high school essays combined. That's what they were. Symbolism in the story. This all makes sense now. 
<laughs> careers by Carol. I got you. <laughs> yes, you do. You do get me. It's true. But the truth is, in retrospect, everything's a lot clearer. So when like you're in high school and you're like, I love poetry, but but how am I going to take that into my career? I'm not going to be a poet. But then you don't realize it's like the skills behind being good at understanding poetry, which a lot of people struggle with, that you now use day to day. And that's what makes you an awesome dance therapist. Right. Thank you. <laughs> she's just saying that. She's she's never actually seen me in dance therapy or been my client or any of that thing. But the truth any, is, any of those things, the way but... that you speak about it and knowing the, the therapy field, I feel like I'm getting a glimpse really into the way that you treat your clients. And, and the fact that you just always talk about how much you're like there with them, it's just, I can, I can just feel it. And I'm sure that anybody who's listening can understand that too. It just like you exude this like empathy and this excitement over everything that you're doing. So I don't even have to see you in a session. I can just tell. I wish you were here with me because you'd see how much my arms are moving. I'm like <laughs> dancing my way through <laughs> this interview as well. Um, and people always say that, like, you're such a hand talker. And I'm like, well, I'm a dance therapist. Like, what do you expect? Do you want me to stay still? <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah. Lots of body moves. I think it's helpful. It helps get the words out, I think. I don't know. <laughs> well, your words are coming out great. So I would say yes. <laughs> All right. So we spoke about a lot of the things that you really love about dance therapy and like the way that it's super, super meaningful. But I think it's really important before any going into any field to really understand the downsides of that field. So can you think of, there's downsides to every field, so I'm sure you can, but what are some of <laughs> the downsides of being a dance therapist? Yeah. Well, some of the downsides, and, you know, I think you can look at this in a bunch of ways. It can be a downside and, you know, in some ways it's not, but I think one of the things you really have to think about if you're going to be a dance therapist, or if you're really going to be in the mental health world is that it's not something you can just kind of close your computer and leave in your office and come back to on Monday morning, fresh, you know, that's, I mean, you wish that happens, but it doesn't always happen that way. You know, I, I, I do, I take my clients home with me. I, I cry for them on the train. Um, they come to me in different messages. I think about them at night, um, I wonder where they are when I leave them. I wonder where they are when they pass or they die. So it's really not um, something that's so that ends up being so clean and clear and and um, like a nine to five thing. That mm-hmm. those may be my work hours, um, but it's definitely not the time that I spend um, really putting myself into this work. And so I think. Part of that also is that you're working with people's stuff and like they're, they're big stuff. They're hard, hard stuff that, that that's difficult for them to confront and you're helping them confront it. And, and that could be hard in itself, you know, Mm -hmm. it could be hard in a lot of ways. Um, But, you know, like when I worked in pediatric oncology, it was, it was rough. I mean, it's, it's, it's beautiful because I made these stories and I, I was able to play and I was, I was the girl that had, you know, the music and the props and I would come in and I would dance with the kids or I would dance with the parents or I would dance with the baby. And that was amazing, you know, and then you kind of walk out and, and you face all of the reality of, of what just happened and, and what's, what does it all really mean? Um, 
So I think, I think that's not necessarily a downside, but it's, it's, it's something you got to keep in mind, the real side about it. Yeah. And I would say this is true of all the therapy professions. Like I'm so relating to everything you're saying right now. And it's, it's definitely not easy. So you, you have to take a little bit of just like a look at yourself and understand if you can handle that. And the truth is some people are better at just leaving it at the door. Um, but if yeah. you are going to take that home, like how debilitating is it going to be? Or do you have things in place in your life that'll really help you overcome that? It's definitely something to keep in mind for sure. Exactly. And it's also something to keep in mind in terms of like the population. Like, you know, you don't have to work in every place. You could mm. you just work in the place that feels good for you. Right. You know, so that's also something that I thought about. Like I, I particularly like kids because they're fun and light and playful and all those things. And they're hard as hell as well. But you know, that's the challenge that I like that feels good to me. But some people are like, I don't know how you do it. I don't understand. Mm -hmm. Why would you ever want to work with kids all the time? It's crazy. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, I don't know how you look at adults all day. They're boring. I don't know how you do it. (laughs) They're not fun. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And that's what it is. It's about finding the right environment for you. And you've mentioned a few of them that you've worked in. And I guess like, you know, for each person, they'll go through that, you know, do some experiences, intern here, intern there to really understand what it is that they like. Oh, yeah. Yes. Internships. People. Do them. They're great. <laughs> <laughs> I second that. Um, so is there a, maybe a plan that you have for your future? Do you see yourself staying with kids for the long term? Is there a way to do private dance therapy clients? Yes. Uh, Do I have a plan? Not really. Um, Should I have one? Maybe. No. Uh, (laughs) Is there a private practice? Yeah. Plans, you know, plans are, are sometimes overrated, but I feel like in today's world, they like, I don't know, they could fall away so easily. Right. I'm going to, I'm going to change that just because I think it's important. I think it's good to have an idea of where you're going, but but also to be able to let it go if something else comes along. So really keeping yourself open to opportunities and not just like pigeonholing yourself into one idea of what you think is right. So that's why I say plans are overrated. Um, yes. Also because you're yes in a place to right everything. Now that you love. So like there doesn't necessarily need to be a plan to leave, but just for people to understand, like, <laughs> is there a way to have private clients in, in dance therapy? Is it, is that something yeah. that most dance therapists do? Um, I think it depends on, like you're saying, you know, where they kind of end up. Um, it's definitely possible and, and, and very likely and happens often that dance therapists move into the private world and into the private practice. It's even more likely that you'd be, you know, part-time in a few places. So I right now happen to have a full-time position, but many dance therapy jobs are part-time positions. So that means, you know, let's say you spend two days a week in a school and then three days a week in private practice. And that could be your own practice, your own clinic. And it could be, you know, a group of other therapists kind of coming together and making a clinic. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, that, that, that totally happens um, where you kind of move into the private world or have a mix of jobs um, or do more than one thing, you know, that, that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Gotcha. And we didn't, yeah. we didn't touch upon this, but I think it's important to note. Um, what is the average salary for a dance therapist? Oh, uh, if you are in this for the money, get out. You should get out fast. You should just, you should run away. No, no, no. Um, so 
It's not a whole bunch. I think average is between 45 and 75. I want to say that is average. Like if you Googled it, um, the beauty about dance therapy and creative arts therapy is that you can really make it what you want. Um, so this works well, you know, for women who are thinking about having a family um, or, you know, wanting some space or things like that. Like I said, a lot of the jobs are part-time. And so that offers a lot of flexibility for schedule um, and, and, and for opportunity as well. You know, you could be working in three different places, which is really cool. And also sometimes maybe exhausting. Right. Um, but, and, and then on the other side, you know, I had this professor who was, you know, making six figures and she said, it's really about how you make it. You know, you could do online, you can open a practice, you can do so much through social media these days. Um, so you can really expand and you can also expand in different areas. Like, I'm getting certified in children's children's yoga right now, you know, know (laughs) yeah. So, you know, am I, am I going to do the children's yoga class the way I would regularly? Maybe that could be a source of revenue, but I might integrate it into the therapy world in a way that's interesting or different and offer this as like a new class. So I think, you know, staying creative and staying open to opportunity is, is your best bet of, you know, an increasing salary and kind of increasing income in the creative arts therapy world. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's a great tip. And and that's a great tip for also, again, any career, there's, there's a spectrum for a reason, you know? So as much as there's maybe a base salary, an average salary, that if you really love it and you're nervous about the income, like Kim said, there are ways to be creative and make it work for you. And if you really love it, if there's a will, there's a way. So yeah, definitely. A very yeah. Good and point just kind of hustle. You got to hustle. I think, you know, I think, I think sometimes it feels like, Oh, I'll just, it's easier when this is Monday to Friday, nine to five, and then that's it. And and in some careers that's wonderful. But like I'm saying, you know, this career offers this real flexibility, which could be so great um, in a way that, you know, other careers can't. So you can get all your hours in like Monday to Wednesday and make just as much as the person who's working Monday to Friday. Mm-hmm. Um, so there's really, you know, there's a lot of ways to move around, I think, um, in this field that in other other fields may not have as much room to do. Right. Flexibility is a big one for sure. Yeah. All right. So we love this question on what the heck do you do? Because now that we really understand what it is that you do and we have a better, like deeper knowledge, um, But let's say I met a dance therapist at a party at a social event. What would be a good follow-up question to ask her? They tell me, oh, I'm a dance therapist. Mm. What do you do? Huh. A question would probably be, um, tell me your favorite moment of today, from today. Tell me your favorite moment from today. I think that's a good one. Yeah, because I think that'll really... um, one, it helps them be reflective about what they did today and also will probably give you a real glimpse about what they actually do and what their day, you know, looked like. Um, and it could look question. really different. So I think I'd probably say, yeah, you know, what, you know, tell me about your favorite moment of the day. Yes. I'm going to start asking that one. Just the people in general. That's such a nice question. So much better than the weather <laughs> talking about Corona. Yeah, I, um, I'm living with my husband's niece and nephew and, um, you know, every once in a while I'll be like, all right, tell me, 
top moment of the day highlight and then tell me like you're not favorite part of the day and it really it's you know they're five I think no they're six and four and they're able to really articulate their favorite parts and they're like not so favorite parts it's a good question I think I love it all right Ken this was unbelievable we learned so much I think people are really gonna flock to this because there's such an influx now of just like movement and dance, whether it be from TikTok or just people realizing that they really love it. And I think being able to think about it in a new way where it's not just like I'm doing this thing for fun, but like it's really a way for me to express myself and just like let things out, I think is just such an awesome sentiment. And I hope that people really take what you say to heart because it was awesome. Thank you. Yes. Thank you for having me. It was really wonderful to share all of this and I'm sure if you're listening to this, you have like a hundred more questions about who's this lady? What does she actually do? I'm not sure (laughs) I really get it. Um, And, you know, so anyways, please feel free to reach out to me or to Carol for my information. If you have any other questions, I'm so happy to always share with you um, more about, about dance therapy. That means a lot. Thank you. We really appreciate it. But I think you did a good job, so... Hopefully (laughs) it'll just be because they want your 103 page, um, dissertation. So, yes, (laughs) it's, you know, I don't know. I don't know if I recommend it. It's not a light read. It's uh, it's it's pretty large and, but, but there are some, uh, cool arts drawings with tissue paper and cotton balls. If you're interested. (laughs) Yes. All right, Kim. Thank you so much. Thank you, too. You, too. Bye. Bye. Next week on What the Heck Do You Do, Stephen Esses explains to us what the heck a mortgage loan originator does. As a loan originator, uh, I help people achieve the American dream and I help them become homeowners. For most people, owning a home will probably be the biggest financial investment they'll make in their life. It's up to the loan officer to simplify that process for the borrower and present it in a way that the bank will accept. Thank you guys for joining this episode of What the Heck Do You Do? We really hope you enjoyed and that you will rate and review us wherever you get your podcasts. But more importantly, if you have a job or career that people just don't understand, please email us at whattheheckdoyoudo at gmail.com with your job title and a quick description of what the heck you do. Until next time.